At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, December 12th, 2022. It's been 3,211 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 292 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Surovykin, has increased the operational tempo to create a political victory before December 31st by employing the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lapin, on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, We maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it is almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Third, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fourth, We assess that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue at least through December 22nd, and that the threat of another round of missile attacks is elevated through December 14th. Fifth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Sixth, We maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Seventh, our assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin was accurate, with numerous Russian mill bloggers openly criticizing the Kremlin, tactics, strategy, intentional disinformation spread by Russian state media, and the treatment of Mobix. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sorovykin, commander-in-chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Ninth, 
We maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. 10th. We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. 11th. We maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's Monday, check in with both belligerent objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. Positional fighting continued in Novoselivske, with Russian forces relying more on artillery in an attempt to dislodge Ukrainian forces. Our December 10th assessment that Ukrainian forces remained in Novoselivske despite reports claiming there was a withdrawal was accurate. Russian forces launched an attack on Stelmachivka, which was unsuccessful. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reported repelling an attack on Makhivka, while mercenaries with Morgonzo reported a failed Russian offensive on Nivsky. In our assessment, we believe that the answer lies in between. Literally, with Russian forces of platoon size or smaller advancing along a tree line and creek drainage that is south of Ploshanka and between the two villages. We don't have specific intelligence to support our belief, but it is the most logical answer to the differences in reports from Ukrainian and Russian sources. We were so skeptical of Wargonzo's claim of an advance on Nevsky on December 10th that we didn't include it in our report. Humanitarian aid was delivered to the village on the same day of the reported ground attack. We think William of Ockham would approve of our methodology. Quick sidebar. William of Ockham was a 14th century English philosopher known for Ockham's razor, the principle that in problem solving, the simplest solution is often the best solution. For example, if you hear hoofbeats at the Kentucky Derby, it's most likely horses and not zebras. Fighting continued in Ploshanka, according to Russian sources, and the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions were shelled throughout the day. The situation remains unchanged in Chernopopivka, with continued fighting and the shelling of Ukrainian positions, with Ukrainian forces just west of the P-66 highway ground line of communication. Called a G-lock, that's a supply line. Ukrainian positions in Pishane were shelled, and fighting continued in Zhitlivka. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported glorious victories, while Wargonzo was pessimistic, claiming Russian forces were struggling to hold positions on the P-66 highway. Wargonzo also validated our assessment that terrain was playing a factor, claiming Ukraine had the initiative because they hold the ridgeline just west of Zhitlivka and through Chervonopopivka. Ukrainian positions around Dibrova, the one in Luhansk, were shelled, while the Russian MOD reported continued fighting. Our assessment that the attack on Serebriansky was a Russian DRG squad or platoon doing reconnaissance was not correct, with Russian and Ukrainian sources reporting the second day of fighting in the area. 
Based on this intelligence, we moved the line of conflict southwest and noted the attack in advance on our war map. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, continues to express hope that Kremina will be liberated by December 31st. Other analysts are aligning with our assessment that Ukraine is applying the same strategy used in Lyman, neutralizing Russian units on the edge of the city and working to bypass the strongest defensive points from the north and south. Kremina remains in a salient. Fighting for Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, continued, with Ukrainian forces switching to a defensive posture. We moved the line of conflict closer to Bilohorivka based on the reports from Russian and Ukrainian sources, but maintain the town is under Ukrainian control. The December 10th HIMAR strike on Khadivka hit the Zhdanov guest house, confirming reports from the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, JCCC. The, quote, bath and recreation complex was identified as a Wagner base due to poor operational security. Surprise! PMC Wagner head Yevgeny Prigozhin's son, Pavel, shared a photo of himself outside the guest house. Wagner suffered heavy casualties in the strike, with reports of senior leaders being killed and wounded. We are working on clarifying the information. There is no information to support that Pavel Prigozhin was present during the attack. The December 10th HIMAR strike on Svatova that hit the correctional boarding school devastated almost half of the nine-story tower, causing significant casualties. There is a video circulating that was filmed minutes after the attack. It is extremely graphic, not suitable for work or for children, and some people may find it disturbing. If you want to watch the video, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon, as well as a translated version, which contains very strong language. The LNR JCCC did not report any major strikes today, beyond the continued heavy shelling of Svatova. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar and minimize civilian casualties. Private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, attempted another advance on Verkhnokomyanskia, which was unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces continue to control Spirna, with the Russian VKS attacking targets of opportunities after a sortie on Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and Russian sources reporting Ukrainian positions were shelled. Fighting continued in Bilohorivka with no change in the situation. The most intense fighting in Ukraine continues to be around Solidar and Bakhmut. Ukrainian forces continued to hold their defensive lines, with Russian forces trading localized advances of less than 200 meters in some areas for Ukrainian advances of similar distance in others. We were correct in our assessment that reports that Russian forces had occupied the Yakovlivka were inaccurate. Fighting continued with the settlement contested and Russian forces along the T-1302 highway. Intense fighting continued on the eastern edge of Solidar and in the central and southern regions of Bakhmutska, with no change in the situation. The defensive lines around Bakhmut remain stable with intense fighting. Both belligerents are suffering catastrophic losses. Ukrainian troops, medical personnel, and military leaders report that, although the losses are high, they aren't close to the 500 to 1,000 casualties a day Ukraine suffered in May and June, 
during the Russian offensive on Severodonetsk, Lusychansk, and Popozna Hirskazolotsa. Russian forces led by PMC Wagner continued their attempts to advance on Pirhorodne and lost some ground south of the Bakhmut suburb. An editor's note here. Similar to the situation around Severodonetsk and Lusychansk, individual battles are not a zero-sum game of win or lose. The situation is difficult for both belligerents for different reasons and remains very fluid. If either belligerent exhausts their combat strength, they could face a rapid collapse of their positions. It's also possible that the offensive could wither away, as Wagner's push in September did. Ukraine and Russia have traded the same 2-3 to three kilometer strip of land east of Bakhmut since August. However, this is the strongest advance made by Russia to date, using the largest number of light infantry resources. Ukrainian positions in Klishivka were shelled and hit with airstrikes, but there were no reports of a continued ground offensive by Russian troops. We have seen some maps indicating that Opitna is in a deep salient and claiming Russian forces have advanced to the edge of Klishivka, crossing the water obstacles and ridgeline and occupying southern Bakhmut. There is absolutely no evidence to support this. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Opitne were shelled overnight. Intense fighting was reported around Avdiivka, in Donetsk, with Ukrainian sources claiming the bulk of the fight was east of the hamlet and Russian sources claiming it was to the west. We maintain the settlement is a no-man's land. Russian social media account reports of Ukrainian forces withdrawing from Bakhmut are false. The unit changes are part of planned rotation so that units can maintain combat effectiveness and protect the force's psychological well-being. In a previous episode, we had outlined that Ukrainian commanders learned in Lysychansk that the NATO system was better for preserving combat strength versus the Soviet-era doctrine of leaving forces in place until combat destroyed. Ukrainian generals blame the rapid collapse of the defense of Lysychansk on psychological collapse of troops that were not permitted to leave the first echelon after evacuating from Severodonetsk. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. Mercenaries with Rybar reported that fighting across southwest Donetsk was localized and positional, with Russian forces fighting to improve positions and not attempting to break through Ukrainian defensive lines. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Yuryivka, which is southwest of New York. We couldn't determine if the attack was launched from Novoselivka or Shirokabalka. Russian forces have been probing Ukrainian defenses around Toretsk and New York, and it's unclear if this is part of a looming larger offensive operation or spoiling attacks to lock resources in place. Positional fighting continued in and near Vodiana, Pervomaiske, and Nevelske, with no change in the situation. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, has switched to a defensive posture in Marinka, with no change in the situation. Another day of the glorious military traditions of the DNR forces was carried out, with another attempt to advance into Novomikhailivka without success. There were reports of fighting across the line of conflict from Volodymyrivka to Prechistivka. 
The day after Rybar criticized Russian state media for breaking OPSEC in Volodymyrivka, a video showed Ukrainian positions in the quarry being struck by grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. The December 10th video released by Russia Today, or RT, was meant as a promotional piece for former Roscosmos head Dmitry Rogozin, and was recorded in the very same quarry. Based on the information and video, we've adjusted the line of conflict south, marking the quarry as occupied by Ukrainian forces. Wargonzo reported an attempted Russian advance on Vulidar, but made no claims of success or that it was a large-scale attack. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in or near Pavlivka were shelled, and we maintain that Ukraine is in the northwest corner of the settlement, north of the Kashlehach River. Russian sources claim there was an attempted advance on Prechistivka. A company of Russian forces attempted to advance on Velika Novosilka, and it was a disaster, with a T-80BV main battle tank, or MBT, and five BMP-2 infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, destroyed. Multiple sources reported there was fighting in Vremivka, while Wargonzo reported Ukrainian forces in Neskuchne attempted to advance on Storozheve without success. It's unclear to our team how all this can be possible, as Russian forces advancing on Vremivka would have to move through Neskuchne, and there have been no reports of Russian troops capturing Novosilka or the road that leads to Vremivka. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Telegram Channel claimed their forces destroyed an M777 millimeter howitzer, one MBT, and six units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. Without any evidence, of course. Ukrainian forces carried out 235 fire missions on the occupied territories. The cities, the occupied cities of Kholivka and Donetsk were shelled again, but with less intensity. In the Mayak market, Department of Emergency Services employees abandoned their effort to put out fires due to a threat of a second strike and drove off. The withdrawal was documented by Russian state media. While moderators of VK, Telegram, Rutube, and other Russian social media channels censored discussions of how Russian forces are committing the shellings on Donetsk, they aren't watching TikTok close enough. During a TikTok Live from the occupied territory, while moderators of VK, Telegram, Rutube, and other Russian social media channels censored discussions of how Russian forces are committing the shellings on Donetsk, they aren't watching TikTok close enough. During a TikTok Live from the occupied territory, residents claimed that Ukraine and Russia were shelling the area in the comments and during the video. The self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, fired the mayor of Debaltseve due to community complaints about their performance. Pushilin is facing his own criticism from residents, mill bloggers, and state media after repeated claims that all bomb shelters are open and fully stocked. Dozens of pictures have been shared across social media of bomb shelters blocked, padlocked, and the ones that are open contain no supplies. Pushilin assured residents that an investigation would begin during the upcoming week. The DNR is facing motor fuel shortages again, although it's unclear what is causing the supply chain issues. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that up to 500 Russian troops have been billeted in Komashivate on the M14 highway. The town is out of HIMARS range, and the transfer happened after continued strikes on Tokmak and Melitopol in Zaporizhia. Russian helicopters repeatedly flew over the city from the direction of Zaporizhia, heading east and past the remains of the Azovstal metallurgical factory.
The GSAFU reported that an attack on Krasnohorivka was repelled in Donetsk, but did not clarify if it was the town west of Novoselivka Druha or north of Marinka. Because fighting was reported in the general area around both Krasnohorivkas, no other sources claimed ongoing fighting, and there were no pictures or videos, we could not determine the correct town. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents in Kherson. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents in Kherson. Russian forces continued to target civilians and civilian infrastructure, conducting 51 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories, wounding one person. There was no change in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant status, with Rybar making an unsubstantiated claim that Ukrainian forces attacked the plant. No other source, including the Russian Ministry of Defense, reported any activity around the ZNPP. The December 10th strike on the Hunter's Stop Resort, not Hunter Biden, let's not even go there, was occupied by an elite Russian FSB unit, recently arrived Chechen forces, and one of the units of the 19th Motor Rifle Division of the 58th Army from South Ossetia. Pictures of the destruction leaked by insurgents started to appear on social media. Multiple sources reported that Sevastopol hospitals are overwhelmed with wounded and have an acute shortage of donated blood. In the rest of Zaporizhia, Russian forces remain in a defensive posture, with artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to mali Sherbaki. The GSAFU reported that Lobkova was shelled, raising speculation that Ukrainian forces occupied or liberated the settlement. For months, we've maintained the village is on the line of conflict and is contested. We did not change its status or update the map. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet has eight vessels on patrol with no missile carriers. On the Russian front, a Russian Su-25 was damaged by Ukrainian air defenses, knocking out its hydraulic system. The pilot elected not to eject from the crippled ground attack airplane and made a gear-up emergency landing. A video showed the pilot executed a textbook belly landing with no fire after the plane skidded to a stop. The airframe obviously suffered significant mechanical and structural damage. This might be the first time there weren't any significant developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine since the large-scale invasion by Russia on February 24th. So let's move right along to Russian mobilization. Rodion Miroshnik of the LNR, who touts the great success of the combat-destroyed 2nd Army Corps, posted on Telegram he was crowdsourcing basic supplies for the 206th Regiment of the LNR. The request includes flashlights with batteries, portable gas burners with fuel, thermal underwear, 
camouflage winter clothing, winter boots, hats, gloves, rations, and potable water. He didn't request guns or helmets, so apparently the Mobics have been provided something to use for fighting. But the request for aid to buy winter gear for LNR separatists on December 11th is shocking. In economic news, the Russian ruble was stable over the weekend and opened on Monday morning Moscow time with an exchange rate of 63 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices are expected to open lower on Monday, with WTI crude falling to $70 a barrel and Brent dropping to $75. Russian Ural's crude had fallen to $50 a barrel, that's $10 below the price cap, and trading at an unprofitable price point. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market will open at $2.03 a gallon, or $0.54 a liter, the lowest price since March 2021. Dutch TTF natural gas futures are starting the week lower, falling to €133 per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and €134 for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures rose over the weekend to $7.46 for March 2023 delivery, but appear to be unfazed by the power outages in Odessa. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.